May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So, as I said at the beginning of the service, today is Peace Sunday. Thursday marked the 70th anniversary of the dropping of a little boy on Hiroshima, which led to between 100 and 180,000 people dying. This Sunday is the Sunday that is closest to that event. Today marks the 75th anniversary when Fat Boy was dropped on Nagasaki, killing another 50 to 100,000 people. And that doesn't count the thousands of people like Sadako who died in the years to come from the health effects of those two events. We're also invited today to remember that on the 2nd of July 1966, France began nuclear testing in the Pacific, dropping, uh, not dropping, but testing above and below ground 313 bombs. Britain and USA also tested in the Pacific, causing widespread health and environmental damage. None of those three are willing to accept responsibility for the damage they did. So Peace Sunday was set aside as a time for renewed prayer and commitment to especially establish a nuclear-free world. It seems to become a little less popular over the last few years. It doesn't even appear in our lectionary this year, oddly. But the need to pray for peace in the world is needed as much today as ever, as non-proliferation treaties are abandoned, Conflict abounds in too many places around the world, causing huge humanitarian suffering. And the arms industry continues to grow leaps and bounds. In Syria alone, from a population of around 22 million people, around 5.6 million of those are refugees outside of Syria, and another 6.2 million are displaced within Syria and there are nearly 12 million people in Syria needing humanitarian aid, 3 million of which live in places which is very difficult for aid to get to. That's out of a population of 22 million. And over half of those affected are children. It's not only the conflict, there is so much suffering and so much injustice in the world. It all feels a little overwhelming. And the saddest thing for me as a follower of Christ is that my fellow followers have been complicit in too much of all of this. We all seem to have too easily forgotten that the one we seek to follow was the Prince of Peace. His was not a peace based on violence, but on compassion and generosity and justice. As we heard last week, his peace was marked by all being fed and the sick being healed. We can see this slant towards peace in the Gospel today. One of the ways to read it is that after Jesus had fed the crowd, uh, like in John, that crowd who had come out into the wilderness to find Jesus to lead them against the tyrant who had killed their prophet, really started to agitate. So in John's Gospel, that's made explicit. They went to find him. They wanted to make him their king. They wanted him to lead them against the Herodians and the Romans. 
and Jesus wasn't going to have anything about to do with that. And so again, it's thought the crowd were doing exactly the same here. They were outraged, they were grief-stricken, they wanted revenge, and they wanted Jesus to lead them in their armed uprising. As I pointed out yesterday, there were more people here than the entire Roman armed presence in Palestine. So what does Jesus do? Well, he forces his disciples into the boat. The Greek there is forced. It's not a polite, it's time for you to go. He forces them into the boat and sends them off. Why would he want to do that? Well, Peter's a little impetuous, isn't he? He's quite good at just kind of jumping in there, all guns blazing. And two other of the disciples were called sons of thunder. So, seems like a sensible thing on Jesus' behalf if that was happening. Get the disciples out of it. And then once he's got the disciples out of it, he can defuse the crowd, get rid, send them back to where they came from, and then he goes off to continue his time, his own grieving. But all of that seems too easily forgotten. It is remarkable how so soon after Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire that the persecuted became the persecutors, forcing pagans to convert under pain of death, destroying pagan temples and organising and leading pogroms against the Jews. And then the cross, the symbol of Roman oppression and violence on which Jesus was killed, the empty cross, which had become a symbol of the emptiness of the reliance on state-sanctioned brutality, and instead had become a symbol of the eternal and infinite love of God for all people, became the standard that led the legions into battle, as violence and war was done in the name of Jesus. And that has continued down to today. We can see it through Charlemagne's attacks on the Saxons, killing them because they wouldn't convert to Christianity, the Crusades, the wars during the Reformation where 30% of the German population was killed, down to today. Last week I read about somebody who was at church and they prayed for victory for the US troops in Iraq and Afghanistan as they fought for Jesus. As they fought for Jesus. That's how they understood that war. A holy war. We have forgotten that to be Christian was to renounce violence. We have forgotten that for the early Christians you could not be a follower of Christ and a soldier. Many of the early martyrs were soldiers who were executed after converting. Not so much for becoming Christian but because when they became Christian, they resigned being soldiers, which you technically couldn't do. Uh, the punishment for not wanting to be a soldier anymore was death. So they were executed. And they were willing to be executed because you could not be a follower of Christ and a soldier. So much suffering, so much injustice, too much of it done in the name of Jesus. It all feels a little overwhelming on this Peace Sunday. But it's not the only story. Down the centuries, 
there have been those who have remembered, who have stood strong for peace. Theodosius was the emperor that declared Christianity the official religion of the empire, but he was also a little bit into violence. And so one day his archbishop Ambrose shut the doors of the cathedral and would not let him out until he repented of his use of violence. There was some Francis of Assisi who went to the Crusades not to join in the violence but to preach a gospel of peace and to see if he could bring the two sides together so that Christians and Muslims could live together. There are the missionaries in this land who preached a gospel of peace bringing together warring iwi who were tired of war, finding ways that they could live together. And then when the settlers came, using the Treaty of Waitangi as a way that settler and Māori, Naiwi o Aotearoa, could live together in justice and peace, each retaining their dignity and their way of life. There are the Christian pacifists and conscientious objectors who refused to fight in World War I and World War II, some being appallingly mistreated and others willing to go to World War I but only as stretcher bearers, refusing to carry arms. There are the Christian peace campaigners who were so active in helping New Zealand become nuclear free. And there are the Christians working hard today, bringing hope to suffering and finding ways to create peace in places of conflict around the world, in Northern Ireland, Israel, Palestine, Sudan. And as I listen to our First Testament reading today, which is all about where violence comes from, the breakdown in relationships, uh, one of the lines there that the brothers said about Joseph, we will kill this dreamer and then we will see what, what will come of his dreams. That is on a plaque at the place where Martin Luther King was killed, another Christian who worked hard for peace in his land, and we can see what became of his dreams. So what do we do with all of that? I wonder what our Gospel reading for today might offer us. So, just to remind us, it's set after Jesus had been teaching about what the Kingdom of Heaven looks like. It looks like wasteful farmers who seem to not know what they're doing and scatter their seed all over the place, some of it growing and some of it not. It's like weeds and crops which grows together and you leave them growing together until the final harvest. It's like deliberately planting mustard seed, which is like gorse, so no one in their right mind would deliberately plant it. And it's like hiding yeast in flour, which is a very bad place to hide yeast. Then after Jesus had finished telling these stories, he went home to Nazareth where he got an ice-cold reception. And as he left that place, he hears that his friend, his teacher, his rabbi, John the Baptizer, has been executed at the hands of Herod at one of his nasty little parties for the wealthy and the powerful. And so he goes out into the wilderness to be alone in his grief. But a large crowd seek him out, bringing their own grief, their own anguish. And so Jesus acts out the parables of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And moved with compassion from his gut, he invites his disciples to join 
him with their little faith, their mustard seed-sized faith, and to feed this monstrous crowd with five fish, five loaves of bread, and two fish. And then at the end of that, when things start going sideways, Jesus forces his disciples into the boat and sends them off, and then he is able to control the crowd and send them off, and he goes off to be alone with his grief. And during the night, he decides to either join his disciples or go ahead to the land, and they see him walking across the raging sea. And they're not pleased to see that. Now, in Jesus' time, the sea wasn't just a sea, and whether they didn't understand meteorology like we do, although I'm not sure that meteorologists really understand it either, but nonetheless. Uh, when there was a storm, there was a spirit at work. So when there was a raging storm and the sea was churned up, the spirits in the sea were at work. So to see Jesus walking across the sea, and therefore in command of the spirits, well, they wondered whether they had entered the world of the spirits. And if you're a mortal man in the world of the spirits, that's a bad place to be. You're going to die pretty soon afterwards. You will never leave the land of the spirits. So they're terrified. They don't know where they are. How is Jesus doing this? And he responds to that with, Be encouraged. It is I. Do not be afraid. Which is, if I'm honest, kind of what I need to hear on this Peace Sunday. And then we have the strange story of Peter asking to be commanded to get out of the boat and to come. And Jesus commands him to get out of the boat, and he does come, walking on water. And then he starts to sink after he's been walking on water. And we're tempted to say, oh Peter, you of little faith. But to be honest, I have never started to sink in my life. I've just plain sunk. <coughs> Every time I've gone into the sea, I've pretty much stayed on the bottom of the sea until it's quite deep. And then I kind of float, which is me moving my arms and legs around, sinking. Not starting to sink, I'm just plain sinking. So I'm quite willing to give Peter some slack here. Because he did walk on water and he was only just starting to sink. It turned out that his mustard-sized faith, mustard-seed-sized faith was enough. And in fact, in Matthew's Gospel, it is enough. In Mark's Gospel, a you of little faith was, well, those disciples, they keep getting it wrong. But in Matthew's Gospel, to have the, the faith of a mustard seed was enough. It was okay. It wasn't a bad thing. And again, I think that's what I need, what we need on this Peace Sunday. So here we are on Peace Sunday with so many storms raging around us in a world desperate for peace. Conflicts abound. Struggling with ongoing nuclear proliferation as the big players once again put money and research into making nuclear bombs bigger and better than ever before, if that's the word you can use for that. And there are Christians involved in that, which boggles my mind. But there are also Christians involved 
in trying to work to bring healing and hope in places all around the world, trying to bring peace and justice and reconciliation. And here we are living in this COVID world with all that uncertainty, with our relatively normal lives here in New Zealand and looking at what's happening around the world, hoping that we can avoid all of that and wondering when it will all end. And here we are struggling with how to be church in this world. We had a vestry planning day yesterday and we're all feeling a little bit older and a little bit tired. We're struggling to find the people we need to keep things going. We're struggling to engage with the needs in our community. It's all quite hard. So I wonder where we see ourselves in the story. The story of Jesus walking across the water through the raging storm, inviting Peter out of the boat and leaving the disciples in the boat and saying to them all in their fear, be encouraged, it is I, do not be afraid. I wonder where is the invitation for us this week from this story and all that is going on around us. There's about 20 different ways the sermon could spin off at this point. But instead, I'm going to invite you to turn to your neighbour and to talk about where you hear Jesus saying, Be encouraged, it is I, do not be afraid. And what this passage says to you and to us from your point of view. Have a conversation with your neighbours. I wonder if uh, anyone has anything they would like to offer to the rest of us. Any thoughts or comments?
So being faithful and taking deep breaths and yeah, be encouraged, do not be afraid. And uh, so the passage from Romans we heard, the overriding message in that is really Paul saying, look at what God is doing. What is God doing here? And I think that's a message that we need to take hold of. What is God doing here? How is God active in our situation? And taking hope out of that, even when it's very hard. 
So I'm going to invite us to stand and we're going to say the creed which is on page 461 and we're going to say it for all those who will say it today and all those who have said this creed or versions of this for the last 2,000 years, sometimes in extraordinarily difficult situations, who held on to being encouraged that as I do not be afraid and to know that we join with them in holding on to this and all that is happening around us.